So when someone sees that piece of art, that is an experience. Like you've had an experience creating it, but you're creating it so that someone else will have an experience. So design for that experience. Welcome to the Creative Tax Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome friends to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artists, makers, and content creators, where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at Mike Bone, or you can connect with me on my website, which is mikebrennan.me. I would love for you to be a part of our daily creative habit online community found over on Facebook. It is free and it is filled with people who are creators of all types. And everyone there wants to show up more consistently so that they can produce better work and get that work out into the world. Whether it's for a hobby or for profession, we are creators and we need each other. And so this is a great community to be able to come alongside each other, encourage each other, learn from each other. And I want to extend that to you. Simply go to dailycreativehabit.com. You will see some resources there and you can click on join the Facebook group. I also want to point out that you can sign up for the Daily Creative Habit email newsletter. It's absolutely free. No one loves to get more and more email. Believe me, I'm in that camp too, but you certainly don't mind it when you get something of value. And that's what I believe that the Daily Creative Habit email newsletter is. It is valuable because I'm sharing all sorts of resources and ideas and creative prompts that can help you on your creative journey. So go to dailycreativehabit.com for that as well. And lastly, I want to invite you to grab a copy of my new book, Make Fun a Habit. And you can go to makefunahabit.com where I've set up all sorts of resources there as well. There is a fun Spotify playlist that is free. There are free coloring pages you can download as well as free Mad Lib types, uh, fill in the blank. Uh, I call them fun libs. And um, there are also some other resources there available for you, as well as links to get a signed copy of the book in either paperback or hardcover. Or if you wish, you can also order it from amazon.com. Go to makefunahabit.com and grab your copy today. Now, for today's episode, I get to sit down with Phil Marchand. And Phil is a great guy. I've been, I've known Phil for uh, several years. We are in a lot of the same circles. We met at uh, Jeff Goins Tribe event here in Nashville. Um, oh man, I guess it's going back probably at least six, seven years ago at this point. But uh, Phil is just someone who I love how he is multi-creative, and he talks about himself in terms of being a. Uh, Swiss Army Knife, uh, which we get into in our conversation. I love that illustration and that kind of picture of someone who has multiple creative expressions and outlets. And Phil is the director of experience for Social Media Examiner, and he's been designing social media marketing world uh, for over a decade. And um, man, he has just such a wealth of experience when it comes to creating customized events. And he not only creates events and experiences, but 
He also is an author. He has a new book, Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. And he is a musician. He plays uh, saxophone. And so um, it's amazing how just all these things come together for Phil in creating memorable experiences. Uh, and he gets to put his fingerprints all over these experiences. So I know you're going to enjoy this, uh, this chat that we had today, regardless of if you were someone who is involved with live events or not. Uh, we talk about the creative process. We talk about a lot of the importance of thinking about the person at the end of who is going to be having an experience with the thing that you create. So be sure to pay attention to that. Follow along for Phil, uh, his book, his um, his music, just all the things he's doing. Uh, we, we drop some links at the end of this episode, so be sure to pay attention to that as well. So without further ado, here is my creative chat with Phil Michon. Well, Phil, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Hey, it's my pleasure, Mike. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that we've been in each other's orbits so much lately. Um, just you with your summit most recently uh, for the, you know, Unforgettable Experience Design Summit. Uh, that was a lot of fun and uh, so thankful to be a part of that. And, you know, just the the various circles that we seem to, uh, to be around um, fellow creator people. So it's just always fun. Yeah, I remember meeting you before the pandemic, and then I think I've seen you more than any other person on Instagram since the pandemic. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing, a bad thing, to, to be determined. <laughs> no, I mean, your artwork shows up all the time in my feeds, what I mean by that, which means yeah. you're you're creating at places with friends that I know. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's, that's always a lot of fun. So, um and we'll get into a lot of the creating things today on your end. I'm excited for that. Um, but usually what I do is I say, before we go any further of like too, too far down rabbit trails and stuff, uh, I like to give people the, the opportunity to say in their own words, like if you're at a party, you know, someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, who are you? What do you do? Like, what's your what's your soundbite? Because you have so many things that you do do um, that it could be any number of things that that's the the entry. But what's that phrase that you usually tell people? I'm a Swiss army knife who creates unforgettable experiences for people. Mm, love that. Love that. Yes. And this image of Swiss army knife, because there are many different things that are a part of that one thing. Uh, that's a great, yeah. great visual. I love that. Yeah. That's wow. the simple version. So I'm an author. I'm a speaker. I am a experienced designer. I'm a pastor. I'm a saxophonist. Um, the list could go on and on. So it's easier just to say I'm a Swiss army knife. I bring whatever blades are needed to create the experience that I'm part of. Yes. Love that. Love that. The other thing too, is because sometimes it's like it, people can get overwhelmed by the, the amount of things when you're someone like that, right? Cause I'm the same way where you bring a lot of things to the table and people want to just put you in that little box to say, well, you do X. That's what you're known for. That's what you do. That's what I can categorize you as. And when you branch out beyond that, sometimes it's, it's people don't know what to do with that. Um, so, you know, I love how you're, you're talking about that. Um, that's, that's really, really awesome. I love that visual. Um, now I want to like always had permission to yeah. see myself that way. And when mm -hmm. you live in a world where people want to be known as an accountant or an engineer or an architect or this or that it's it is hard yes. and especially when you're fairly skilled 
but not necessarily the world's best at any of those things. But it's like back when I figured out that I could never be a world-class runner, swimmer, or bicyclist, but I could do pretty well as a triathlete because I do each of those three things reasonably well. I was never world-class, but I qualified for nationals in a triathlon. Never would have happened in any one of those events by themselves. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's helpful to know that stuff about yourself because then you're you're at least knowing how to align the things that you do with how you can show up best to not only feel like you're bringing your best to the table, but then you're serving other people the best way possible too. Yeah. 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 And in my best moments, I think about it like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'd, I'd love to dial things back to, okay, Phil as a boy, uh, when was the first time that you realized like, Hey, I'm a creative person. Was there, was there a moment or a, an activity um, or something that just said to you, yeah, this is, this is, I'm a creator and I like this. I want to do more of this. So I think Phil as a boy would not have received that statement. Um, I was probably about 33 when I heard those words and, and it felt like, oh, that's who I am. That's why all this stuff happens. But I will put a pin in a couple of experiences as a boy that now looking back, I see it. Mm -hmm. Fourth grade, um, I was at lunch at school and we were all like, you know, looking at the lunches we had and I forget who had which, but one of us had Pringles and one of us had barbecue chips. And I thought to myself, I wonder what it'd be like if we combined these. And so <laughs> a bunch of us tried it, said, hey, that's awesome. Pringles should make barbecue Pringles. And so what did I do? Creative entrepreneur side of Phil says, well, I'm going to do a petition. Let's get all of our friends and family and neighbors. And I was already a Boy Scout. So I was used to making the round selling things. So I just walked the neighborhood and got hundreds of people to sign a petition that we sent to Pringles and said, we want barbecued Pringles. <laughs> and I never got any response back. And, you know, it was decades later before they actually created them and sold them. So I doubt I had any influence <laughs> on their decision. But that's a picture of Phil as a creator. The other one would be uh, as, when I was taking clarinet and saxophone lessons, my teacher would get me to write new songs. And I thought that was so cool. And so by seventh grade, I was starting to improvise. And that was my favorite part about music. It wasn't playing the notes. It was playing what I wanted to play, even if it wasn't very good. This idea of being able to express myself was way more significant to me than playing what Beethoven or Bach or Mozart or anybody else put on the page. Yeah. Yeah. I totally resonate with that. The sense of like, you're tapping into something that's bigger than just simply following along with whatever's placed in front of you. Um, that's yeah. one of the reasons why I never really learned how to read music. I, when I learned, I, I played guitar a lot. I don't play much these days, but um, I learned how to play by ear. Because yeah. I was like, all the things that I love listening to right now, this, the bands that I love listening, I want to play like that kind of stuff. And so I'm like, yeah. how can I figure that out? And then I just train myself by ear mostly. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So when it, when you've kind of progressed into these things, right, as you as you've gotten through the years, right, um, have these have, do you have certain places that you keep that are just yours creatively? In other words, like you don't tie them to things that have to do with you know, making money from it or it being a part of a service or anything like that? 
Um, I've written hundreds of songs because I just wanted to. Like sometimes the compulsion to create will hit me and I'll just say, I've got to write a song about that. Maybe it'll sell someday, maybe it won't, but that's a way for me to process. So a lot of times it will happen to me at a church service and I'm listening to a sermon and I'll hear an idea said, man, that would make a great song. And so I'll find myself writing lyrics for it. I may not do anything more than write the lyrics for it, or I might go home and pull out the guitar or keyboard and come up with the song. It usually doesn't make it much past that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I forced songs to go on stage before, before they were ready um, that I should have like tried out with some friends behind closed doors before I took it on stage. I, when I was a worship pastor, I did that a few times where I, I I really shouldn't have taken advantage of the fact that I owned the platform. Um, But yeah, that's probably one, Um, you know, I, I pull out my saxophone pretty regularly and just play, you know, and sometimes it's practice and sometimes I just do it because it's a creative outlet and a creative break. Yeah. Is your driving force in in those circumstances, as far as music, more of a way for you to process things more than a let me come up with the if you will product of what it is that you're creating um it kind of depends so you know music for me can be just a a place to you know escape can be a place to you know create some you know revive the creative juices for work so my day job is I'm director of experience designing conferences and events. And so sometimes I just need a place to step aside, recharge the creative brain and refocus and then come back and some ideas will hit me. Other times I'm practicing for, you know, a creative outlet. So last week I played a gig where um, I was in charge of designing the entire gig and we were creatively responding to some wine tasting we were doing. We were playing songs in the moment that was creating a story um you know and that to me there's i might have made a dollar out of the event it wasn't about the dollars it was about the experience Mm -hmm. um yeah so sometimes it's really just that it's either recharging it's creating something for somebody else i'm at least with music um you know even like when i write songs i'll write i'm co-writing with different people and i hope one of them breaks it big someday but i don't have any expectation that it will (laughs) Right, right. You know, if I if I force that on it, it's never going to be any good. You know, you just got to keep writing because one day you will write something that will, you know, might get some money, but that can't be my motivation for why I'm doing it. Um, But I believe I am a creative soul, and creators need to create. Absolutely. Whether it's you know knowing those circles, is this for myself? Is this for my family and friends? Is this for a local or regional audience? Is it for a national or an international audience? Kind of knowing and that, you know, the wisdom of where it's for comes from others telling you, you know, is this for anyone beyond yourself? (laughs) Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you touched on a word before uh, and then having to do with what you do, you know, outside of the music thing or sometimes in combination with, but experience, right. And designing experiences. Um, how did you come to be someone who does that? Like, was this a, a thing that you knew about 
and you were like, hey, this is something that I want to aim towards? Or was it accidental? Or like fill us in on like the journey of how it is that you came to do that and, and what that looked like. I think it's something that I've just done intuitively for a long time. And we finally put a label on it because it's become a, a, a job title in the last five, 10 years that others have owned. But I would say it was my first job out of college where I started to see that this was an instinct. You know, I was programming computers, but I was drawn to the group coaching, the group training um, opportunities. My boss gave me a couple opportunities to lead teams. I was in some things where it's like, that's what I want to do someday. Um, and then the next job I had, I was doing it all the time, like designing experiences and just being thoughtful about it. So it's, it's not something that I, someone ever told me, this is who you are. This is what you should do. It's just the way that I approach things is I'm trying to create an experience. I, I want it to make sense from start to finish. I want there to be a purpose in what's happening. I'm thinking about more than just, did you get the content ideas that we shared? Like, you know, that's important to me, but it's, it, there's a whole lot more going on than that. And I, I think I intuitively understood long before I understood the education and the science behind it, that things need to be multi-sensory. And mm -hmm. so you've got to be considering how are people perceiving this with their ears, with their eyes, with their fingers, with their mouth, with their nose. Um, you know, so kind of considering all those things along the way. So it was, you know, a year and a half ago, my boss said, Phil, you really are more of a director of experience than a director of events. I want to empower you to go in that way. And mm -hmm. so I want to affirm that. And I see that and I believe in that. And I want you to do your thing because it makes us better as a company. Um, that was the first someone had ever said that as a label, but it's something I've been doing for three decades in various ways. Right, right. Is there a reason why behind all this? Like, did you have an experience yourself that was like, hey, this taught me the power of having an unforgettable experience and that's why it became important to you? Or was there like, why is it that this is so important to you? Basically, I guess that's what I'm asking. I don't think there wasn't any one experience. I do think it goes back to that same thing you and I both were talking about as kids. I've got to do this my way. Mm -hmm. So um, <laughs> I remember a, a, a leader in our denomination when I was a worship pastor said to me, Phil, why are you writing these new songs? There's lots of great songs that have already been written and published, and they're frankly better than yours. <laughs> didn't quite say it that overtly, but that's yeah. what he was saying. And I didn't know how to answer him, but I knew there was something in me that I, I just had to express it my way. And mm -hmm. now I understand Enneagram taught me that I'm a, I'm a type four. Mm -hmm. So that means you've got to do it your own way. Um, so now it makes sense to me. And I think yeah. that's probably part of how this came about is all these different experiences that I've been part of designing. I wanted to put my own imprint on it. And so through that process, just intuitively was doing it. You know, when you start getting people affirming what you're doing and saying, man, there's something different. Um, you're, this is the best corporate training session I've ever been to. I heard that a number of times when I was a corporate trainer and I'm like, at first I'm like, yeah, that's just hogwash. You know, you're just trying to tell me that to make me feel good. But when enough people say it, you say, oh, there must be something I'm doing. Um, and so I started paying attention and I think it's the through line, the 
the story that I'm telling and the thoughtfulness about making sure that I'm engaging all of the senses and allowing a creative access as well as an intellectual access. Um, but I don't, there's not like one thing along the way that I can remember or point to, or even one teacher. I think it's just right. a combination of a lot of different things. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's, there's something interesting about that whole thing of it being intuitive. Um, and it's funny because those are usually the places where you don't see as much of the value early on in something because you're, you know, those are, people say, well, that's just, I just do that kind of thing, right? It's just something mm -hmm. I do. It, it's not really a big deal, but actually it is a big deal because a lot of other people can't do that. Um, and then when you start to realize the value that's there and how you can be intentional about leaning into that intuitiveness that you may have, um, then I think that's when things start to kick up to a, to a new level, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, good. No, I was just gonna say, you know, and being in somebody who's who's been in the space of creating events for so long, right? Um, I mean, how many how many years have you been involved with you know social media marketing world? And uh, we've had ten conferences. I've been mm -hmm. involved with all ten. We're planning our eleventh uh, in February of next year. So, you know, with that one, just those 11, 12 years. But I've been part of planning events pretty much my entire career. Mm, yeah. So is there a point at which you say, um, like you've, you've done a lot of things, right? You've had a lot of these experiences and I'm sure you're always looking for ways to continue to grow things and adapt things. Um, how do you go about that challenge that's before you to, to make sure that you're not just repeating the same things over and over again, right? The successes that you've had, but that you're continuing to, explore new things? Uh, are, there, are there certain places you go for ideas or like, what does that process look like? Yeah. A couple different things. One is I look at feedback, you know, so I want to hear from our customers. What did they love? What did they not love? So I know what things to pay attention to. Um, Cause I know it's a waste of time for me to try to reinvent everything that we do. Some things right. that we do, it's worth just doing a rinse and repeat because it's adequate or even it's very good. And maybe there's not a lot of room for improvement there, but there's other places that there is room for improvement. So I want to make sure creative energy is going toward the right things. So, you know, for example, last year, we heard a lot of feedback that when people arrived at our event, that it didn't feel the same kind of energy that it used to have. So I put a fair amount of energy into thinking through, well, how are we going to make that better? And so I've, I've broken it down. This is like a, this is something I do creatively. So I will break something down into steps and I'll look for opportunities. How can we improve it? And Jesse Cole talks about brainstorming 10 ideas a day. So I've taken the step of saying, well, I'm going to come up with 10 ideas for everything that I'm trying to solve. And maybe one of them will be worth pursuing. <laughs> of those 10, there's a lot of crazy ideas. It's like, you know, I, like I had the idea of having a Navy band on the sidewalk when people show up. Well, that's crazy and it won't be allowed. You know, the convention center said it's too loud for noise ordinances. You can't do that. It's like, well, okay, but it would have been fun. Mm -hmm. um, but those crazy ideas lead to the ideas that do make sense. Right. So that's one of the things that I do though, is break things down into steps. And then I look at the opportunities. What can we do here? What can we do here? Um, 
you know, I look also at how do things transition. So one of the places that I think a lot of people miss is uh, I define it as brick and mortar. So, you know, when we're planning events, the the bricks are the main things, the things that you'd look at and see on a schedule. Okay, Mike Brennan speaking at nine o'clock on Tuesday morning, Phil speaking at 1030 on Tuesday morning. There's a gap, though, between Mike and Phil, and that's the mortar. And many events don't pay attention to the mortar. And so it's just kind of like Mike finishes, uh, MC says something, and then there's the break. But what's happening in the break? And how are we getting into and out of the break? Are we thinking about how that's part of the experience that our people are having as well? And a lot of times it's, you know, not thought about and doesn't need to be thought about at the same level as you and I would in terms of putting in, making sure those bricks are great. Because unless you're creating an ornate wall that people are looking at in a museum, they're probably not paying attention to the mortar, right? Right. Mortar yeah. is mortar is a filler. Mortar is just making sure the structure stands. But if you don't have mortar, the structure falls. Right. Um, if it's not very good mortar, the structure falls. If the mortar is really ugly and draw, takes attention away from the bricks, then you got a problem too. So it, we've got to pay attention to it. And that's one of the places that I try to put creative energy into as well as let's make sure we focus on the whole structure and put adequate attention to the right things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've all been to experiences where there have been really poor handoffs in between things and transitions. And those are the moments where we're like, Ooh, like we wince a little bit and, and we remember those moments, right. Which then can take away from the whole experience, which is very unfortunate. And those are the things that aren't intentional. They just kind right. of happened because either someone wasn't thinking about it or right. it was just poor planning or whatever. Um, so you're, you're so right in those transitions to have a smooth handoff from one thing to the next and that there's a flow that, that, you know, really in what you're doing, it's, it's design and design is intentional. Right. Yes. And so it's, it's intentional with all the pieces, not just the main pieces. Um, and it's funny because people can recognize great design when they see it and they can also recognize poor design when they see it. Um, but most of the time people don't really think about what actually goes into that design. Um, right. They, I think, just want to be the recipients of good design, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, and yeah, you know, the reality is in live events, like with your live art, you don't always have time to think about every little detail. And right. so you have to know which details do I pay attention to and which, you know, am I okay just kind of sliding by? Because... Um, you know, people may not notice it and, and you're just, you're never going to get it perfect. Like, right. I imagine every piece of live art you create, if you went back and analyzed it, you could find a thousand things that you would do different if it was something you had five hours to create instead of five minutes. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and so the same thing goes into an event. Like we even have all year to plan it, but we're going to come away from it next February and say, oh man, there were 1500 things we could do different. <laughs> Right. If we only had taken the time, it's like, you know, there's there's always more things that you can do. It's a matter of prioritizing. And some of those priorities are coming from the customer. Some of those are coming from your own sense of what's going to be important to the customer. What will they notice? And they may not notice some of those little details to your point, but they will notice the effect of those details. Mm, yes. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. A lot of times people will walk away from our events and say, man, they thought of everything. Um, it feels like they've thought of it all and we haven't, but we have thought about the things that we know they're going to care about that will make it a, a big impact on their experience. Yeah. And I think sometimes too, it's, it's the little things that speak volumes to people that say, yes, you do care about this. And that's what those things strung together create a bigger picture for them to say, this is something worth my time, tension, money, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Back to your question though, about like, where do I get my creative ideas? So mm -hmm. one of them is listening to the customers and what do they care about? Another is I'm paying attention to what other events are doing, what other experts are doing. Um, I'm going to an event here in two weeks where my, and I'm speaking, but beyond speaking, my entire goal in going is just to watch and see what others are doing. What ideas do I walk away with? What conversations do I have? Um, I don't have a very structured agenda at the moment, and I wish it was a little bit more structured, but I do plan on doing just a lot of walking around and talking and asking and meeting people and seeing what they're doing. Cause you know, there's no better place than being around a, a bunch of other creative event designers like yourself than to find out what, what are the trends or the things that they've tried that have worked and haven't worked. And, you know, to walk away with some new ideas for your own toolkit. So that's a mm. big one for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, you need to know what's going on in the industry, be a part of things, be networking, building those relationships. Um, cause those ideas can come from anywhere really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that, to that point, one of my best places of inspiration is not at events. It's going to movies and concerts and just being out in stores and restaurants and places in the wild. Cause mm -hmm. sometimes I'll see someone do something and say, man, I'd never thought about it like that. And I'll be at a restaurant and I'll see a, a waiter or waitress or, you know, the venue do something's like, man, that's a really cool concept. I wonder what that would be like to bring it into an event. And so yeah. just having your eyes open when you're out and about can often inspire new ideas. Yeah. I would imagine it's, you know, both thrilling and probably a little exhausting. In the fact that every time you create something, it's new, right? Like there's no set it and forget it. There's no do this, record it, and then just play the recording, right? Like you're always on, you're always building something new and, and kind of unique, uh, especially because not just what it is that you're creating from being intentional with the pieces, but then also what people bring, right? Like what's happening in culture, what's happening with the weather, what's happening, right. like all that. Um, it, it just can make for a very organic type of experience that you have to respond to. Um, have you noticed like the challenges in there and how do you typically navigate those? Well, first of all, when I was a worship pastor creating a new experience every week, you know, for a decade plus, well, yeah, full-time for a decade and part-time for 25 years. Um, I missed that because there's something about creating a new experience every week where it might be for the same group of people, but like you said, different things are going on in culture. There's a different focus of what's being talked about, a topic of what the, you know, the pastor might be talking about. There may be things that have happened in the community. And so you're creating this new expression um, that's a unique opportunity and you've got certain constraints on you. Um, you got time, the building, the personnel largely are the same. 
Um, but there's other places of creativity. So I miss that having that frequent opportunity. I, I would not enjoy creating a recording that's going to live for, for decades and for, you know, eternity. Um, <laughs> I've played with bands um, as a saxophonist that want me to play the lick, you know, that's on the Pink Floyd album or that's on this or that album. And I will, I, I'll never get it right because I don't like to learn licks the way that it's on the album. I want to say, <laughs> just give me the chords and I'll make up my own. Um, yeah. Even though it's not as good. Like I can't come close to Phil Woods on, um, Oh, just the way you are, you know, that, that sax lick, that's one song where I've got the chart in front of me and I'm trying to play what he played because it, it's just so good. Um, I don't deviate very far from it, but in general, I want to come up with my own. And yeah. so that's why I missed that, you know, and, and, you know, once a year, it, it, obviously it's what it is for an annual event. You are doing it once a year, but I, I missed the opportunity. So that does not drain me. Although it's tempting sometimes just to want to rinse and repeat because it's easy. Right. You know? And so that's, I think maybe that's part of your question is when you're working with a team of people, not everyone has the creative impulse that you and I have. Mm -hmm. where we want to be creating others want to just like, Hey, give me a checklist. I want to work the checklist and let's get it done and let's move yeah. on. Yeah. And that's hard for me. I don't know if that's hard for you, but oh yeah, totally. I, I, I don't want to just get a checklist and say it's done. It's like, no, no, we let's continue improving until the event. You know, yeah. There's more opportunities and new ideas could come up. And oftentimes for me, they come up in the last month. And it's like too late to do anything about them. And I, I've not figured out yet how to force those creative ideas to come up six months in advance. Um, you know, I know there's ways I've heard people talk about, but I have not figured out for myself. Like they just, I continue to ideate mm -hmm. and I don't know how to turn it off. And so it's, that, that creates conflict with a team where not everyone thinks the same way that you do. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and in, in terms of creating things, right. So now you've created also a book, um, you know, unforgettable. And can you talk a little, a little bit about like why this book and why now, like, was this something that you just felt like I'm being asked a lot of questions or I'm talking about these things. And so it's, it's now's the time to put this in book format. So I kind of have a, here's the, the whole conversation or was it more of just a, you know what, I feel like these are things I want to express beyond, you know, and get a little bit more into detail. It started about six years ago as out of a creative impulse to write about things that I didn't see anyone talking about. And, and again, to say things in my way. So some of that's an Enneagram four, because I'm finding yep. that there are plenty of people talking about the things that I talked about in the book. No one's talking about them in the exact same way. And I don't know anyone who put all the topics in one book that I've put in one book. So I think that's, again, what makes me unique is like the combination of things. But in, in 2017, it was me trying to figure some stuff out. You know, I wonder how you do this. I wonder how mm -hmm. you do that. What's the role of music at events? That was a question I was asking in 2017. I didn't even know what questions to ask. So I was asking experts. Um, I started, you know, writing about, I forget all the things, but there was this idea of time standing still that I that I, I don't know if I coined it because I see it in other people's books, but it's that sense where 
everything slows down when you're at an event. Sometimes if it's a well-run event, there can be this moment where um, nothing else matters except what is happening right in this space. Like Mm -hmm. all the outside noise, all the things in your life, even everything that's happening in the building. It's like, there's this poignant moment that can happen. And it's not the same moment for everyone, um, but it is a moment that can happen. And I wondered, how do you make that happen? How do you Mm -hmm. design that? And I spent some time trying to write about that and think about that. So it, uh, it all started with me trying to figure stuff out. And after a while, I realized, you know, I'm a decent writer. I like writing. And I've already, by this point, I'd already written several blog posts and were getting, was getting good response. It's like, you know, I should write a book. Um, that'd be a good idea. And so I just started slowly working on it. 2018 had some people saying, hey, this is, you know, you should write a book and this is what the book should be like. And I said, yeah, you're right. And then someone else had an idea. Yeah, you're right. And then the third person had an idea and I was ping ponging around between ideas. And by 2019, I was like, okay, clearly I've got the ability to write a book. I've got a book in me. Um, I need to figure out what the book is that I want to write because I'm, I'm following all these other people's ideas for me and none of them feel exactly spot on. Mm-hmm. And so I stepped step back and I wrote a book proposal. I said, you know, let's do this the right way. Instead of just kind of ha- back-assing my way into it, um, I decided to like, let's start from the beginning. Who am I writing for? What do I think their greatest needs are? Like step through all the processes you go through if you're going to propose a book to a traditional publisher. And so I wrote that proposal and that's when I met you. But at the same time, I met Karen Anderson, who is a, uh, mm-hmm. an agent with Morgan James publishers. And I showed her my proposal. I'd shown it to some other people as well. And she said, Phil, this would be a great book for Morgan James. Can I take it to the committee? And I said, absolutely. Not expecting much. Um, and they, they immediately said, Oh, we, we want you. And what I found out later is they're getting, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess the numbers up. It's either 1500 or 15,000 proposals a year. And they accept 250. Um, there it's a lot, like they get yeah. a lot of proposals a year and they don't accept very many. And I realized, wow, that I'm, it's an honor that they took mine and you know, decided they wanted to publish mine. Cause it's, they're not a traditional publisher. They're a hybrid. Mm-hmm. So it's got self-publishing aspects where I own the manuscript. I fully created the manuscript, had to hand over a fully edited manuscript. They don't change a thing. They'll, they'll like glance at it and give me some insights, but they're not going to do a detailed edit on it. They design the cover and then they lay it out and they, they do all the publishing and they get it out to all the networks and places, but I'm still marketing it like any author is, unless their name is John Grisham. Um, he doesn't <laughs> have to do a lot of marketing for himself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So why now it was, um, well, we delayed it. So in 2020, I was working on the book, planned on finishing it in 2020. And we all agreed that wasn't the year for a book about live event experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So put it on hold for 18 months and then late 21 started working on it again and finished it um, in 2022, like uh, late summer, early fall. And then that's when all the fun started with editing and laying it out. And uh, then yeah. publishing happened in 23. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think pe- many people don't realize how much goes into a book. Um, they can enjoy the product, but again, it's the same, you know, same thing with design, right? Like it's, 
um, at, at face value, it's something for somebody to consume, to enjoy, to learn from. Um, but if you haven't been a part of that process, you can't really fully appreciate everything that goes into it. Um, and, uh, I think like all good things, there's a lot of time and intention and work that goes in and then you can enjoy the fruits of that labor, you know, hundred percent. So I'm curious, um, if there is something that maybe you would say to someone who they're not planning events, they're not necessarily even involved with anything that remotely looks like that, but they're still creators, right? Is there a way for a creator, whether it's a visual artist, uh, musician might be a little bit easier because they're playing in front of people and it is kind of event oriented sort of, um, but someone who creates something, they don't see a direct tie to an event. What would you say to them that could encourage them to really harness some of the power behind a event, whether it's online, whether it's in person, just thinking beyond here's what I created and now it's going to go out into the world. Like what could someone do that could actually harness the power of an event? Well, let me challenge a supposition there. Mm -hmm. um, when you create visual art, you're creating it so that there will be an experience. Mm -hmm. So when someone sees that piece of art, that is an experience. Like you've had an experience creating it, but you're creating it so that someone else will have an experience. So design for that experience. You know, what, what is it going to evoke in them? Um, that in itself, like, where is it displayed? Where will people see it? What's that experience going to be like? Is it going to be seen like, you know, the, what are they, what's that word? The kitsch, um, hotel art, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, the, the garbage art, or is this going to be something that people like stop and say, Whoa, you know, there's an experience here. So, um, like even within conferences, like we're creating artistic elements that create a bigger experience so like mm -hmm. what you're creating can be an experience by itself or it can be part of a bigger experience and one of the things i love to do is you know as a jazz saxophonist i like the combination i like creating um experiences with art and music that is one of a kind so i've done this with artists where either live art or finished art where you know we'll look at it together and then I will play what I experienced and looking at it. And then they'll tell me more about what they did. And then I'll play again because <laughs> mm -hmm. now I've got a more informed story behind it. And we're creating an experience for the audience as they are also looking at this art or watching it being created um, in the moment. And there's like this communal experience that's being created. And I think artists can create that for people bringing story into what they're doing. Um, so I don't know if I'm fully answering your question, but I think. No, I'm no, I think you are. And, and I especially liked how you, you termed to think about the person's experience, right? Like who yeah. is going to interact with the thing that you create. And I think that takes it outside of it having to be a quote event, right? right. Um, because the experience could be, if you're a visual artist, right, you, you paint, you're hanging that in a gallery on a wall someplace. There may be experiences happening all the time as people are interacting or not interacting with your art as they walk by and someone sees it and they have a moment and they look at it and they say, 
this reminds me of something from my childhood or, or some special memory or some connection. And they're having an experience with the thing that you've created. Now, it may right. not even be the, the intention behind what it is that you created, but right. it's what they're bringing to it as well. And I think so many times as creators, it's so easy to fall in love with the process of creating and to mm. fall in love with what you do for you that you don't really think too much beyond that to say, well, how is this actually going to impact other people? Um, yeah. and, and I think that's what can make a big difference in whether your, what you create has a further reach and impact. Right. Um, because yeah. there are tons of people who are closet musicians, right? They're playing in their rooms and they're doing their thing. And it's, you know, they never break out of that to actually go and be among people and, and share their gifts in a way that it can have a life beyond just them as a creator. I know people in your audience can't see my screen right now, but I'm going to tell you a story and try to translate it. So in the back corner there, you see a picture of a sunset. Yes. And um, if you could see it full on, you would see that there is a, a ramp or a, you know, a bridge walking down to a beach um, and then the, an amazing sunset that's in the background. Well, the story behind it is my wife and I had been at Cape Cod and we were on the beach and we saw this amazing sunset unfold and we captured a bunch of pictures. And I had started doing some some dreaming about for my vision board about where do I want to be someday? And I said, you know what? I'd love to have a house or a place that my wife and I could go, maybe not live, but at least go regularly a timeshare or something that's on a beach that reminds us of that really sweet time that we had on this beach. So I had a painting commissioned by a friend of that picture. So what you're seeing on the wall is that painting that was commissioned. And then I wrote a song to go with it that my son and I performed and we gave it to my wife for a Christmas gift. And it sounds amazing, right? It's like, wow, that's so awesome. Well, here's the problem. I love this picture. It's hanging in my office, not anywhere else in the house, because I, I had what was created something that I liked instead of knowing my audience. And that's a very simple story. My wife would have loved something with some different colors, like mm -hmm. bold oranges and reds. That's me. She would have probably liked something with some softer colors and some a lot more blues in it. It would have been more inviting to her if it hadn't been quite so bold. And she's not in love with it. So she said, yeah, you can have it. Even though I spent <laughs> hundreds of dollars having this commission for her, it lives in my office and not hers. And I think the same thing can happen when we don't know who our audience is and who we're designing for. We can get so enamored, like you said, with our creative process and what we created that we don't realize that yeah, I just wrote a song for myself or I just created a painting for myself and no one else is going to appreciate it. Who are we creating for? And the same thing's true with events. You know, I, for years, um, had a band play with me. We played jazz as people walked in. I thought that was the perfect music for background music as people walked in because there's no words and it's kind of the right vibe. And after a few years, people started saying things to me saying, Phil, we love your music. You're amazing it's really not our jam. And I was like, yeah, but that's not the point, blah, blah, blah. And uh, for years I, I put them off. I ignored them. I, you know, kind of made excuses for why their, their opinion didn't matter. <laughs> I'm in charge. I get to decide. Well, finally, after enough years, I said, you know, who is our audience? And I realized our audience looks nothing like me. 
she has hair. <laughs> I'm bald. <laughs> she's younger than me. She's probably in her, you know, late thirties, early forties. She's a mom. Um, you know, she listens to different music. And I, once I started recognizing that I realized, okay, I've got to design an event that she's going to like, not me. Mm -hmm. And I think as artists, um, we have to know there is that process, like, you know, art comes from within us and we can't help, but put our imprint on it that, right. you know, I'm limited by my capabilities and my palette, but I am creating for others to enjoy. So if I only create something that I enjoy, it's not going to be as great as if I figure out what is this audience? What is this place? What is this event? What are they going to enjoy? Or how do I set it up? in a way that they'll enjoy it. What story can I tell that will help them? Is there a way that I can feature it in a, you know, in a gallery or in a restaurant, wherever it's being displayed? I don't, I don't, can't speak to all the language of displaying art, but I've seen enough art to know that there are times where the way it's displayed totally captures my attention and other times like, well, they must not have cared a lot about that piece. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think knowing what your audience appreciates and how to serve them with what you create is super important. Mm, yes. Yeah. And I think that's something that we can all learn from and continue to revisit because as we create new things, as we have new experiences, we can lose sight of that. Um, if we're not careful and intentional, like you said. Um, and really at the end of the day, it's, it's gotta be about more than just this, you know, at least some things, if we're doing something for a hobby or just, just for us, and that's the intention behind it, that's different. But if we're intending to, to create something that has a greater impact and invites other people in or is intended to invite other people, we need to be thinking about them. We need to be thinking about the whole experience of it, not just ourselves in it. So that's an awesome reminder for us today to make sure that we're, we're doing that little gut check to say, you know, how are we doing in that process? Uh, and then the things we're creating. So um, I love it. Love it. Love this conversation. Um, believe it or not, we're kind of at the top of our time already. Um, I feel like we could talk about this stuff all day long. <laughs> Probably could. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I love learning more about you too, as well. You know, I'm an Enneagram four too. So we have that kind of, uh, you know, kindred spirit thing going on there as well. Um, but just as we're wrapping up here, um, where can people find the book and follow along with you? I know you have a, a special offer for people if they go to your website. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. The book's called Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. You can buy it anywhere online that you buy books. Um, if you want to get some links, go to filmershawn.com forward slash purchase. And I've put all the main sites where you probably are likely to go if you're in the United States. If you're outside the U.S., then you know Amazon's pretty much everywhere, but then you've got local bookstores that should have it available because my publisher has made it available. I do have a special offer. There's a chapter that didn't make it into the book that should have. I just happened to write it after I turned it in and said, man, this is the chapter I should have written on community. So what's the role of community at events? So if you want to get that chapter, go to filmershawn.com forward slash sign up. And that'll get you signed up for my newsletter, which I don't send lots of emails out. So I'm not going to be spamming you all the time, um, but it will give you access to that chapter. And uh, hopefully that you'll appreciate that. Awesome. Awesome. And I highly encourage everyone to make sure that they do that and uh, to, to read your book, to get around you and experience a lot of the things that you are creating, because again, you're just bringing some amazing things into this world, Phil. And uh, I just appreciate you appreciate the work that you do appreciate your heart and intention behind 
all the things that you create. Uh, and I can't wait to see even more. So thank you so much for this time today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Mike. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.